Hey guys, um, today's podcast is going to be a little bit different. So earlier in the week, I asked my Instagram followers um, what they wanted to know. And I popped a question box up there and I asked you guys to basically give me questions that I could answer today. It was really interesting. A lot of the questions I got seemed to be from psychology students um, and about masters and getting work experience and that sort of thing, which is really cool because, you know, that's one of the main reasons I started this page was to share that information with people and share information that I wish I had access to. And then I got a few questions as well about, um, you know, working in a private practice, fighting burnout um, and tips for early career. So that's what we're going to chat about too today. I've chosen the most uh, repeated questions, so the most popular questions, and I'm going to answer them. So I hope you guys find this useful because I love sharing my insight with others. So one of the first questions I got was, how did I prepare for graduate school? So in America, it's called graduate school. In Australia, it's called your master's, I'm assuming. That's what everyone's meaning by that question. I got a few of those. Um, And for me, the process of applying took a lot out of me. I probably spent you know, a good month or two applying for um, master's programs at different universities. But the lucky thing for me is because of how my uni worked on trimesters instead of semesters. So we had three semesters a year instead of the standard two. Um, But that was really good for me because it actually meant that I had nine months off in between finishing my um, fourth year at uni and then starting my master's. So I actually took that nine months off, did a bit of traveling and then got some more work experience to boost my chances if I was to get an interview. Um, So I would say you do need some time off. You know, that first four years of uni can be really hectic. Take some time to yourself, but also be mindful that you are about to go into an interview um, and you do want to make sure that you're presenting yourself in the best light. So if you haven't got any work experience or you don't feel like you have enough on your resume, that time is a perfect time to get some more. On that note, I did get a question as well on um, honours and masters and the marks to get into those courses. So as a general rule of thumb, and every uni does differ depending on demand, I believe, um, it is a 65% or um, average, which is a credit average to get into an honours or fourth year course. So honours is comprised of coursework and a thesis. Um, some universities, not all, offer a postgraduate diploma option as a fourth year. And that's actually what I ended up doing for reasons that we can chat about at a later date. Um, and as far as I'm aware, the only difference was that my research for my thesis was done in a group, not individually. Um, all coursework I completed in that course was done in the same classes as people enrolled in the honours pathway so in that regard there was no difference and when it came time to apply for masters I actually don't think I was asked whether I did honours or a postgrad dip or why I decided to do a postgrad dip so I don't think it made any difference once I was in that course yeah Uh, and then for masters as a general rule of thumb you need a 75% average which is a distinction average as a minimum when applying for a master's degree anything above that is a bonus and some universities do only accept high marks due to the demand of getting into these courses because like two or three hundred people can apply for a master's program at any given university but they usually only take between 10 and 20 at a time so it can be really challenging one of the questions that I got asked a lot was tips for master's interviews so I get asked this question a lot and I've actually written a blog post on it um But talk yourself up. At that point, I always say, at that point where you've got an uh, interview for a master's degree, everyone's, it's a clean slate. Everyone's on the same level. Everyone's got your marks. They don't matter anymore. You need 
to show them how you are different and why you deserve a spot over the next person so you need to talk yourself up some ideas are if your research is published talk about that if you have work experience talk about that a lot um if you have some sort of idea of what you would like your master's research or thesis to be on, definitely talk about that because I think that shows that you're thinking ahead and shows them that you're really serious about the course. But also don't put too much pressure on yourself. Um, you know, okay, I'm going to share a story with you. So I, um, ended up interviewing at two different universities and I got into both and then I was lucky enough to have the choice but the first university that I interviewed in was quite far away from family and friends I caught a plane there I was so nervous and I went into the interview with the plan on talking about how I had a brother on the spectrum um, and how he was my inspiration the ideas for my my research um, all my work experience and um my published research. So I'd published my paper at that point. I literally got in there, got out and just burst into tears. I realized I hadn't spoken about anything. And I genuinely believe it's because I put so much pressure on myself. I didn't say a single thing that I wanted to say. And I probably cried for like two days if I'm being honest. And then I found out that I got in. So try not to put too much pressure on yourself. I think the more pressure you put on yourself, the more difficult the whole process is going to be. Go in there, with confidence that you got that interview for a reason. You know what I mean? Um, Yeah, I think that's really important. But on the note of getting your research published, if you did an honours year or a fourth year and you wrote a thesis, you can publish that research. So um, chat to your supervisor about ways to do it. And that's um, for the people that ask of what you can do or how you can prepare for graduate school. um, That's probably a really good thing you can do in the lead up to applying for masters and stuff is trying to get your research published. It can be a really long process so get started (laughs) sooner rather than later. Okay, this next question um, is about experience and how you can gain experience as a student. Now, I have a full blog post on this. So check out the blog um, if you are interested, but let's go through some of the stuff here anyway because we're here you know we may as well (laughs) so I remember when I was an undergrad student I was sitting in this like huge theater full of other students I was 17 and in my first lecture my professor said this look around the room there are about 500 of you in here congrats you've all made it into university you've all made it into a psychology degree that's no easy feat so well done by the end of your second year Half of you will have changed degrees, so there's only going to be about 250 of you left. By the time you get to your fourth year of study, where you need a credit average to even apply, there will only be about 125 of you left. I'm assuming a lot of you want to get into a master's program. To do this, you'll need a minimum of a distinction grade average, and universities only accept between 10 and 20 students into these programs each year. I wonder which of you guys I'll be seeing in a few years' time. At the time, I like it just scared the crap out of me because I was like, I thought the hard work was done at that point. You know, I'd studied my ass off at school, and I thought I was there. But he just scared scared the living daylights out of me. So um, I made it through the first year, and then the second year, and you know what? He was right. There was about two hundred and fifty people left, and then getting into a fourth year. Um, you know, was really challenging, but it wasn't impossible. I just needed to make sure that my marks were above the cutoff mark. Getting into a master's like we've spoken about is a whole new can of worms. And when it comes to applying, um, like I said before, you need a really high distinction average. Um, But 
When people ask me what they can do to help their chances of getting into a master's program, I just always say the same thing. At that point, every single person who is applying or gets an interview has the marks to get in. Literally, they don't accept you for an interview without those marks as a bare minimum. So you need to show them how to stand out. And there are so many ways to stand out. You just need to know where to look. So one way, obviously, like I mentioned before, is um, work really hard on your fourth year thesis and then try and get it published into a reputable journal. Um, Your supervisor will help you with this because their name goes on it um, and so there's something in it for them as well at the end of the day. So going into an interview and being able to say that you're published is obviously a great way to separate yourself from the rest. But secondly, and this is where this question comes in, make sure you have experience up your sleeve. There's literally no point going into the interview and explaining that you've been working in retail for seven years um, or that you just got promoted to store manager at that point they don't care they want to know what real client experience you have okay so there are I know that sounds scary but there are a bunch and I'm going to share them with you now so one of the ones I'm really passionate about is ABA therapy for children with autism so ABA is a type of intensive behavior therapy that focuses on the principles and techniques of learning theory to help improve social behavior. So it helps kids on the spectrum develop new skills, shape and refine previously learned skills and decrease socially significant problem behaviors. So several organizations across across the world actually um, offer training in this area. And after completing training, there are ample of paid and unpaid positions you can find. The demand for ABA therapists is quite literally never ending. If you are in Australia, there is a Facebook group called ABA Therapy Directory Australia. And that's where lots of parents and um, therapists kind of try and connect. So if you're a therapist, you say, like, I've just completed my training. I'm in the Sydney Eastern suburbs. I'm looking for three days a week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday work for me. And then parents will kind of reach out to you and vice versa. Parents post ads and therapists can connect. Um, So like I said, the demand is just never ending and there's lots of ways to find work. I personally did my training through the Lizard Centre and within two days of finishing my training was working with two families. So it's it's a really great option for you guys and it's really rewarding at the same time so another really cool way to gain experience is to look at some volunteer positions at your local hospital or nursing home so this may include playing with children at the local children's hospital which they're always looking for volunteers to obviously at the moment with COVID I'm not sure what the rules are but just keep an ear to the ground Um, or being a companion to an elderly person at your local nursing home again not entirely sure what the rules are with COVID but again just you know, keep your ears to the ground. They might be doing it via Zoom now. I don't know. Um, or even looking for volunteer positions via Kids Helpline or Lifeline. They're always looking for people. So definitely check them out as options. You can also ask around your university and see whether any master's or PhD students require a volunteer research assistant. That's something that I did. And it was really cool because it actually helped me then when I was doing my own research, I kind of knew a few of the procedures and um, how the ethics committee works and that sort of thing. So it, It's quite a good one, not only for your resume, but for yourself. Um, Another way to get experience is just contact allied health clinics in your area and see whether they require like a receptionist or a therapy assistant or someone to, you know, just to run groups or, you know, stack shelves, that sort of thing. Um, And then if you're in Australia under the NDIS, which is the National Disability Insurance Scheme, (laughs) families are now receiving funding for therapy assistance to work under OTs, speech therapists and psychologists, and also to implement programs 
written by professionals with clients. That's actually the perfect job for a psychology student now. And you can earn better money doing this than you you know, would earn in retail anyway. So I definitely think it's a good option. So what I mean by that is a child might see their speechy or OT maybe once every six weeks, but the speechy or OT has written a specific program that then you would follow, um, you know, at the family home or in between sessions and that sort of thing. So definitely approach clinics. Like I know our clinic is always looking um, for therapy assistance and I've hooked a few people up with jobs there. So yeah, definitely check that out. It's, it's worth doing and it's, the best experience you will get. So um, when I posted this blog post initially, a lot of people said like, oh, okay, they're really cool ideas. What did you do to make yourself stand out? And I literally did everything that I've just mentioned. I was an ABA therapist. I was a receptionist at a psychology clinic. I volunteered to be a research assistant. I volunteered to assist a psychologist with her small practice and I was a therapy assistant for teens with disability who needed help travel training. So that wasn't under NDIS because it wasn't around back then. But again, that's an option for you now. And I always get the same response like, what? That's crazy. It sounds like so much work. And you know what? It was hard work. I worked my little butt off um, and it was really hard doing all of those things and trying to maintain my grades and publish my thesis but I did it and if I'm able to do it then so are you and I I think it's really difficult because and you know this might be controversial um, but people these days seem to be really afraid of hard work they think that things will just fall into their lap don't be one of those people who has a dream to get into a master's program and be a psychologist but doesn't chase it if that's what you want and not everyone does but if that's what you want work for it earn it and you know do what you can do with it. Don't don't just settle. Work hard, get to the next level and demand to stand out. It sounds really harsh, but that's a reality of this degree. So all of those suggestions um, also put you in a really great place post-graduation. So not necessarily just for your master's interview, but post-graduating from your master's degree when you go into your first job, your resume will literally be overflowing with experience. And that's what employers want to see as well. And you know what's really interesting? Having experience took away so much of the anxiety about seeing your first clients, um, you know, as a provisional psych or a registered psych. Because I remember when it came time to see our first clients in the clinic during the master's degree, everyone was so nervous, understandably. And I was nervous too, but not as much as everyone else. And, you know, you might ask why. And I genuinely believe it's because I had been really seeing clients and interacting with them for two years already. No, it wasn't as a psychologist, but I was still a therapist and it taught me so much and gave me the resources I needed to get through those early hurdles. So like I said, experience is key when it comes to lots of careers, but in my opinion, it's, it's so important. It's almost crucial in psychology. And I know I'm not alone when I say that I feel like I learned nothing in my undergraduate degree. I truly started learning when I started work, doing work experience and actually seeing people face to face, actually having clients. So put yourself ahead of the rest and do a little bit of experience early and gain that experience. You know, even little things like I knew a lot more about behavior therapy than some of my, um, you know, peers did because, again, I was doing ABA therapy for so long. So it came naturally to me. So yeah, I'm sorry if that sounded like a lecture, but I'm just really passionate about that. And like I said, that is a blog post. So go check it out on my website um, if you're interested. Um, yeah. So next question. Did I ever consider any other allied health degrees before studying psychology? So before I studied, no, I didn't. I've always said, um, 
you know, I always say that I knew I wanted to study psychology, but I've now always say that if I was to ever go back and do anything else, it would be teaching or OT, so occupational therapy. And I would genuinely love to learn more about occupational therapy because I love the sensory component and I love learning about ways um, about sensory overload and sensory regulation and although I've self-taught myself a fair few strategies I would love something like more concrete and formal so yeah if I was to ever go back to uni it would probably be to do OT. Um, How did I fight burnout at uni? Take breaks when you need them. So in master's which is two years I think I asked for leave three or four times um not for long periods of time. So maybe like four days in total each time. And I, they never said no. I was always granted that leave. And I feel like taking time for myself made me a better student. And to this day, it makes me a better psychologist. So please don't be afraid to ask for help and discuss this with your supervisor if you feel like you are burning out. Um, this question was really interesting. So should provisional psychologists expect their supervision to be paid and their professional development to be paid by the employer? Great question. I think this really depends on your employer. So for example, my first employer had a professional development budget for all clinicians, um, as most do. And that covered pretty much all of the PD I wanted to do every year, not all of it. There was one year, for example, I wanted to do a PD interstate and it was really expensive. And that one professional development, cause it was like a three or four day course. It was secret agent society actually. Um, it was like well over budget, but they still paid for the course. And then I just paid for my flights and accommodation. So you you can always compromise with your um, employer um, and see what they can help you out with. But please be mindful of your contract as um, some of them have a clause in there that may say like, if we pay for you to do this professional development, then you need to stay employed with us for X amount of time. Um, because they've you know paid for the course and they want to reap the benefits of that. So just read your contract um, if you are if they are paying uh, for your professional development. In regards to supervision, I personally never expected my employer to pay for my supervision. That being said, a lot of peers um, that I you know have kept in contact with said that they um, received supervision as part of their employment package so just again be mindful um, if it's something that you're really interested in it's worth the ask in the interview so definitely ask tips for early career okay this is quite a broad question so I'll just answer it as best that I can so I was lucky enough to stagger my way into the workforce I did two days a week for three months then worked my way up to three days and four days and then eventually five and now I work um, in a different capacity so my timetable is a bit different but if you can stagger your way in I think that's a great idea to be honest that was suggested to me by my employer not myself and at the time I was not thrilled by the idea but it was the best thing that could have ever happened to me um, yeah so definitely if you can stagger your way in I, I strongly recommend it because it's a really steep learning curve um, learn everything you can from those around you including other allied health professionals so I actually learned a lot from the speechy I worked with first and we're actually still friends to this day and I'm hoping to get her um, on the podcast someday soon as well so yeah learn from those around you um, and then something else that I want to talk about is burnout is real take breaks when you need it chat to your supervisors regularly Um, don't settle if you're unhappy in your job know your worth and look around for something else you know it can be really overwhelming and you might think that you're really lucky to have that job but they're really lucky to have you so even though it can be overwhelming um, 
look around and don't be afraid to look around. Um, don't feel like as well, don't feel like you need all the books, all the resources or all the PDs. You're doing amazing and you don't need to spend money to be a good psychologist. That's a good tip. And my number, my last tip is set goals. So I want to share this story with you because I think it's really important. So um, obviously I went straight from the 13 years of school, straight into seven years of studying and then straight into a job. So obviously it took a bit of time every now and then to travel, but essentially didn't take a big, big break. I get to my job. I'm so excited to start. And about six months in, I realized I'm feeling so flat. And I was really frustrated with myself because I was like, why am I feeling this way? I've got my dream job. I'm loving my dream job. But I just didn't feel like I felt like I was in a real slump. Then I realized it was the first time in my entire life that I wasn't working towards something. So like, you know, when you're at school, you're working towards getting good marks to get into uni. Then in my degree, I was always working to get better marks to get to the next level of my degree. And when I finally got to my job, it was the first time I didn't have goals set for myself. And what really helped me is setting small goals for myself to achieve, um, you know, at at work. So whether that may be working on my KPIs and writing a couple of research papers um, or like articles uh, for our company's website every week, or, you know, I want to see like eight clients or I want to create this program or I want to write this, run this group. I set myself goals every month and it really helped with my motivation and my mood while working. So if you do feel like you're in your job and you're at a big slump, try setting some goals for yourself. They don't necessarily need to be for your employer. They can be personal work-related goals but set some goals and I guarantee you your mood you'll feel so much better about it in fact that slump is one of the main reasons I started my playful psychologist business to begin with so definitely setting goals is so underrated but so so important all right so I've blabbed on for a bit now but I've got one more question that I wanted to answer because I think it's a good one so this um, question was what is it like being a psychologist and working for yourself So for me, these are two separate points. I do work for myself in some capacity, but um, when I, in regards to seeing clients, I don't technically work for myself. So I am a contractor. um, So in that regards, I'm responsible for my own hours, um, but I am contracted by a clinic. So they take a percentage of my pay. For now, that works really well for me because I don't have any overheads. um, And I kind of see it as the best of both worlds because I have more freedom and flexibility than I would as an employee. um, But I don't have have the full responsibility of having running my own business in regards to seeing clients. So what I mean by that is I don't have overheads. They sort out all the admin, the finances um, and all of that. So right now, especially with a baby, I'm, I'm really happy with that arrangement um, and it works for me. But if you are confused as to whether, um, you know, being empl- being an employee or being a contractor is right for you, please DM me and let me know because I would love if, if there's enough people out there that want to hear about the differences and stuff, I'm more than happy to do another blog post or another podcast on that. So let me know. Um, yeah, so it works for me right now, the way that it's going. Being a, being a psychologist is really, really full on. So in regards to what it's like, it's, it's very emotionally draining. It's very frustrating and it's very hard, but it is so worth it. I absolutely love my clients. I love working with families and I love helping people see change and helping people realize their self-worth. So in that regard, it's the best job in the world. Um, 
And then in regards to working for myself, um, I work, I guess I work for myself with the playful psychologist part of things and I really enjoy it. It's a creative outlet for me and I genuinely, genuinely love giving others access to what I wish I had when I was first starting out. I wish I had a podcast episode, you know, on these sorts of topics where I could learn and figure out what my next step was. I wish someone told me to set myself goals before I had to figure it out myself, you know. Um, So I I genuinely love this side of things. And I guess the the best part about this is, especially now being a new mum, is that I work when I can and I work when I want to, not because I have to. And that's my, um, I, I hope that the playful psychologist is always that for me because I feel like if it becomes anything more than that for me I will lose that passion that I have for it so yeah anyways that's all uh, the questions I'm going to answer today if I didn't get to your question and you 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 genuinely want to answer it again please dm me because I will be more than happy to have a quick chat with you um but I hope you guys found that interesting so for like I said there was that blog post on my website www.theplayfulpsychologist.com and then click the blog tab um, and you can read more I've actually got a section on that website for students um so if you if you do click on the blog section of the website you'll see along the top it says like anxiety behavior for the therapist, for the teacher, for the parent. So if you click on for the therapist, you'll find like a lot of um, articles there that may help you as students. So there's students and experience. Um, I, I include like a lot of stuff there on like telehealth for COVID and that sort of thing. So there's there's always information that you can find on the blog. And like I said, DM me if you have any other questions at the Playful Psychologist on Instagram. Have a great week, guys. I'll talk to you later. Bye.